and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. We're going into, like, yarn anatomy today. That's right. We're going on a deep dive. We're treading into the waters of spinners. Spinners are experts in these things, and knitters, I think, may or may not have considered. We're going to talk about plies. Mm Mm-hmm. So what is it that we're referring to when we talk about plies in relation to yarn? So you'll be surprised to learn that the word ply is one of those words in fiber world that means a couple of different things (laughs) when we say it. Uh Uh-huh. And through context and education and picking up on nuance, you kind of have to work your way through what exactly someone's referring to. But a ply of yarn is a strand of twisted fiber. So when we say plies, plural, this is the number of strands of fiber that are twisted together to make our yarn that we knit or crochet with. But then the word ply is also used like a verb. So it is the way that we talk about the actual twisting together of two or more strands of yarn, or singles as they're called. So when you're plying yarn, like actively twisting the fibers, What you're doing is you're infusing that yarn with energy. Oh, interesting. And when we say twist, that refers to the tightness of the ply, like how much spring and bounce is infused into the fiber through that process of no longer letting those fibers lay straight alongside one another. All right, so in the process of making a yarn, and this is, I think, whether you're a hand spinner or it's being produced in a mill, There are a number of plying steps that take place. There's the single strand, and that's twisted. It's plied in one direction. And then yarns with multiple strands, so two-ply, three-ply, four-ply, whatever comes next, those strands are plied together in the opposite direction. And what that does is it gives your yarn balance and structure. Okay. So I'm going to think about this like from using a drop spindle. Mm Mm-hmm. If you've never used a drop spindle, it's kind of like a top in that it spins, but it hangs in the air. The weight of the drop spindle is going to attenuate the fibers, so it sort of draws it out, and then you start it spinning. And that's going to twist all those fibers in, let's say, a clockwise direction. When you go to put more than one of those strands together, you're going to want to twist them in a counterclockwise direction so that you're not just undoing the twisting that you've already done. One of these days, we're going to find a spinner to talk to on the podcast (laughs) because Karen's definitely interested in the process of spinning. And I'm more curious. I don't think I necessarily want to take it up as a handcraft, but I'm interested in the technical construction of yarns. And I feel like spinners have up close and personal perspective on how that comes together. So sometimes we get people who come into the store and they have a pattern that will call for something like four-ply yarn. Yep, that does happen. Because you could have a four-ply fingering weight. You could have a four-ply worsted weight. You could have a four-ply DK weight. It's just in the construction. For us, that is more of a designation of how the yarn is put together versus the weight of the yarn. But sometimes ply as is listed in a pattern does give you information about the weight of the yarn. Yeah. In the United States specifically, plies don't correlate with the weight of the yarn. When we say weight here, we're not talking about the grams, not how many grams are in the skein, but how thick it is. 
you do find vintage patterns, like if you have your grandma's patterns or something, that might specifically tell you to look for these plied yarns, like number of ply yarns that tell you what weight it would be today. You can still knit those patterns, but you're not going to find any modern produced fiber in the United States that's being labeled in that way. So in order to figure out what weight of yarn you should be using to knit this sweater from 1936, you want to look at the gauge information and try and figure out based on needle size and what the gauge is, what weight yarns might substitute in. And here is where the Craft Yarn Council of America's standard yarn weight system is really helpful because that table has all of that information. And we'll link to it in the show notes of this episode in case it's useful for you. I do think that there is still yarn currently being produced in the UK that does have the ply information, and that is the thickness weight information. That's the way of conveying that. Australia as well. Yeah, depending on where you got your yarn and where you live and all kinds of stuff. But because of Ravelry, that's not the designator you're going to see in the pattern. So now that that little confusing aside (laughs) is kind of taken care of, let's talk about the actual physical number of plies, strands of yarn that go into making the yarn that you work with, and what that means to you. When you are considering yarns to use for a project, sometimes a pattern will tell you a very specific thing. Like they will tell you that this is written for a single ply yarn. Or they will show you that they have four samples and they're knitting with a range of styles of yarn and things still turn out great. It's important for you to pay attention to pattern instructions and consider what information they're offering up to you when you're working on making your yarn choices if you're not using the same yarn that the designer used, because your choice will impact your resulting project, and you may or may not get the same thing based on what you decide. And that's true of all things in life. You make your choices. I didn't use garlic in the pasta sauce. I used something else. Didn't quite taste the same. (laughs) All of this information we're going to share with you about the number of plies that go into the strand of yarn that you might be working with is tied together with our weekly word of encouragement and or warning, it depends on how you (laughs) receive this information, Mm -hmm. that tells you that your best source of information about your yarn choices is still going to be to swatch. No matter what we say here on the podcast, you still want to swatch. (laughs) Don't make a yarn choice and say, hmm. Yeah, but Karen and Jessica said it was going to work out like this. Surprise, it might not. So let's talk about a couple different kinds of yarn construction. And I would say, at least here in the U.S., the most commonly called out one that will be named explicitly on the ball band is single ply. So let's talk about single ply yarn. Mm -hmm. We'll begin at the beginning where there is only one strand of twisted fiber to talk (laughs) about. So when I was doing some reading about single ply yarn... I learned something that was a little bit baffling to me, and that is that some people have very strong feelings about whether or not singles are actually proper yarn. Oh, interesting. Like there is some cohort of yarn purists, yarn somethings, I don't know, who say that because singles hold a twist that isn't balanced It doesn't have another strand of yarn to lean against. It's unbalanced yarn. It's not proper yarn. And it took me a while to think about balanced yarn in a way that made sense. It's fiber. It all seems like it'll be fine once it's knit into stitches. 
but I came across an example of thinking about balanced yarn as a person leaning. So if you are standing on a hillside and you are leaning to stay upright, if there's nothing there for you to hold on to, you're kind of unbalanced. That's like you are the single ply yarn. But if there is a fence post or a tree or something for you to cozy up next to on this steep incline that you find yourself standing on, then you are more balanced than if you were just up there in the wind. And that's what a second ply of yarn does to the singles. Huh. And I had never considered that at all. But it's interesting. And just as an aside, we're going to do a whole episode about Z-twist versus S-twist yarn particularly for people who spin, but also when you're making things with the end result, it's a whole big topic that we have a lot to say about. Whatever direction those singles are twisted in, they end up being fairly smooth and round. And the deciding factor, factors, I guess, in how that yarn is going to behave is a combination of the length of the fiber. So it could be a short fiber like merino, or it could be some sort of long wool. And the tightness of the twist. So it might be a really well-behaved single. Or if it's twisted too tight, when you're knitting with that single ply yarn, particularly in stockinette, your yarn is going to knit on the bias. No. Yes. Because it's an unbalanced yarn, it has a tendency to lean. If the twist is too tight, your stitches will look like they're leaning in a direction. And I think that we see this in the shop sometimes with people who come in with their summer weight projects that they've knit in a single ply yarn. It's like a t-shirt or a tank top, and it looks like the fabric is not hanging straight up and down. You can see directionality to those stitches, and that's because the single ply is twisted really tight. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, if you have a single ply yarn where the twist is too loose, that affects the yarn's durability. So the stitches will lay flat. They won't be leaning to one side because the twist is too tight. But the fabric's not going to wear very well because the twist isn't tight enough, basically. So your fibers want to come apart from one another. And it's going to be more prone to pilling and kind of lose shape and get floppy over time. Huh. Yeah. And like just looking at yarn in a skein... You can't necessarily tell what's going to happen. So that's why swatching with single ply yarns in particular is super important because say you want to knit yourself a stockinette t-shirt or tank top or something and you really don't like the look of a bias fabric, you want to know that before you're eight inches into it. Right. Do your swatch swatch. and see what it's going to do for you. So I'm inventing the concept of yarn. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I've invented single ply. I've said, this is a person on a hill. They're going to just tumble down the hill. I'm going to solve this by adding a second ply. We need balance. Two-ply yarn. Teamwork. The buddy system, some (laughs) might say. It's the buddy system. That's right. So two-ply yarn means that you have two plies, two strands of twisted yarn that are then twisted against each other. Adding this second ply makes your yarn stronger. The plies also balance one another, so you don't have to worry about bias anymore. That is a problem that is unique and specific to single-ply yarns. So you can knit your stockinette to your heart's content, and your stitches are not going to lean. 
you know what? I say that they're not going to lean because of the ply construction. I don't know what you're doing to your <laughs> Kind of anything could happen. If you have a two-ply yarn, mm-hmm. you have done your balance twisting, what does that yarn look like? Good question. Single-ply yarns are round-ish. They're round. Think of them as a strand of spaghetti. It is a cylinder, basically. Maybe cooked spaghetti because it's not so rigid, but (laughs) stay with me here. We're talking about sauce and pasta today. So you have your plies, your two single plies that are very round. When you twist those around each other, they are no longer round because they are just two of them. We're sticking with food references, so try and envision a Twizzler. Is Uh a Twizzler round? No. Are there maybe more than two plies in a Twizzler? Possibly. I guess I haven't counted. Fill that in mentally. (laughs) But the shape of them is kind of oblong. Sure. So it's like if you took your round cylinder and you kind of squished it. So it's two round strands stacked on top of each other, winding. So that can't make a circle. There's like a gap. Okay. So it's oblong yarn, not wound yarn. And what this does is create some dimension in your stitches because of how that yarn is structured. And it helps to hold your stitches open. So sometimes you will, we're going to stick with the stockinette example, you're knitting stockinette, you've got a two-ply yarn, and the fabric you're making is not super smooth and flat. It's a little bit rustic looking. And that's because the two-ply stitch construction is creating some texture there. Those strands don't lay perfectly flat on top of each other. I think sometimes it can be hard to visualize this in yarn. Mm -hmm. I think two-ply is one of those situations where you can actually, you can go see this. You could find worsted weight yarn that says it's like eight-ply. And you're kind of taking the maker of the yarn's word for it. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) You're not doing the embroidery floss thing where you pull all the strands apart. Probably not. But you can often see the two plies in two-ply yarn. Of things I can think of off the top of my head, there's plied, which they actually do two different colors for their two plies. So you can see it very clearly. And this exists also in -in dyed-in-the-wool single-colored yarn, but it is really easy to see when the maker of the yarn has very helpfully made one color purple and one color white. Like, thank you. Yes, now I see both plies. Like a barber pole. Yes. So in addition to this good visual of structure, just looking at that, it also makes it functionally great for lace knitting because your stitches want to stay open because they're not smooth and flat. They've got some shape to them. Your lace patterns will maintain their structure better than a single ply yarn, which will be kind of drapey and floppy or like a bouncier, pudgier yarn where they want to fill in because of the way the actual fiber is shaped. We're just going to keep adding plies. Yes, I feel like the count here. (laughs) Three, three ply yarns. What about them? What are they like? So three ply yarns take us back to this concept of round yarn. This is still so funny. Like, I understand. (laughs) I understand what is being conveyed by the phrase round yarn. Mm -hmm. But it still kind of makes me smile every time I see it because I want octagonal yarn. And no one will make it for me. You can't have it. You need a 3D (laughs) printer or something. Three-ply yarns, naturally, are three single strands, three plies of yarn twisted against each other. These yarns have really excellent stability and balance. 
It's like a stool. A stool with three legs is very stable. Having three plies of yarn creates a very even yarn to work with. The spaces that exist in a two-ply yarn are filled in by that third ply, creating a round, smooth cylinder. We're back to spaghetti shape here. Now, we're not digging in really deep today to things like woolen spun versus worsted spun, because that's an additional conversation on top of the actual number of plies that go into the yarns that you knit with. But just so we're all on the same page, woolen spuns are loosely plied and have a lot of air in them. Woolen spun three-ply yarn is really excellent for color work because your stitches will kind of hug up to each other. And then once they're blocked and finished, they like fluff up and create this kind of like cohesive, I don't want to say fuzzy, but soft fabric, like visually soft fabric because there are no gaps in between the stitches. And that's really nice if you have any tension float issues going on on the back of your knitting that might show through in some way if it were a different type of yarn construction. Now, worsted spun three-ply yarn, and more plies than that too, are really excellent for crisp stitch definition and cables and texture because the smooth, tight twist of the ply in that type of yarn really lets those stitches kind of pop and stand on their own. Right now, one of my many works in progress is Only Ocean by Sylvia McFadden, and it's lots of repeating kind of wave shapes. And I'm using Arbor from Brooklyn Tweed, which is a worsted spun three-ply yarn, and I love it because it just has really great stitch definition, and I can tell that once I block this thing, it's going to be stellar. It's going to be so nice. Mm -hmm. Very squishy, very like hold your shape kind of stitches. Okay, we can keep adding plies. We could be here all day. No one will stop us. I am the maker of the yarn and no one else has keys to the place where the yarn is being made. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. So I'm just going to keep adding plies. Uh Uh-huh. What are we at, four? I think we're at four. Okay, let's say four and more. (laughs) Because at some point, you're just kind of amplifying the characteristics of the yarn by adding more plies. We've gone from round, single, all-on-its-own ply, kind of textured, oblong, two-ply, back to round, three-ply that's got lots of structure and balance. And guess what? Four-ply is also like that. And so it's five and six and seven and eight. And however many plies you have, the more plies that are added to a strand of yarn the more sturdy and hard-wearing that yarn will be. Also, you start to encounter increasingly dense yarns. So, gonna say it again. Do your swatch. swatch. (laughs) Because the fabric that it creates might surprise you. It can have impact on the overall drape of your project. Like, you might find that a two-ply worsted weight is going to create a much lighter, loftier sweater than an eight-ply worsted weight. Still worsted weight, still the same gauge, but there's just a lot more density, but also a lot more structure. Nice and strong. What are you (laughs) going to do in that sweater? So really, this is just the kind of thing where as you're choosing yarn for a project, it's going to help you make an informed decision with all of the information that you need. Don't do it. Going to say it again. Don't say it. Let us watch. watch. (laughs) I was very sure that you were about to go back to the spaghetti.
So what's on your needles, Jessica? I'm still working on my Tied Knots hat by Justina Lorkowska. And that's the hat I'm knitting with my lovely teal-colored knit and bro yarn that I'm super into right now. And can I tell you, I'm not doing a great job. (laughs) I don't know what my problem is, but week one of me knitting this was me mangling my two-by-two rib, Uh which, what is wrong with me? And then recently, at a Crafternoon event in the shop... I printed out the pattern because I thought, you know what? It's going to be easier for me to read my chart from a piece of paper than it is from my phone that falls asleep every 42 seconds. Let's do this from paper. And I felt like I was in an okay place until I realized halfway through the afternoon that for some reason, after knitting round eight, that I didn't knit round nine. I knit round 11. And just kind of kept cruising along and (laughs) disrupted my whole cable pattern. So I had to pick it back. And that's definitely a me problem, not a this hat problem. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how it works. What's on your needles, Karen? I think I need to cast something new on just so I have something new to talk about. But my sunshine on my shoulders, the revamped approach is Mm -hmm. going really well. So here's what I did. Because I had frogged it back to the beginning of the Antarja. This is a bottom-up sweater, and you knit the bottom. The -hmm. first couple of inches are just regular stockinette knitting in the round with some ribbing, and then you go into the intarsia. And so I actually decided instead of trying to knit it back and forth in the round, I'm actually going to knit the intarsia part flat and then seam and do a Kitchener cast on a new panel with a provisional cast on, and I'm going to do the intarsia in that panel And then when I'm ready, I'm going to Kitchener that to the bottom. Amazing. It's a little bit of a Frankenstein's monster project, but I already feel a whole lot better about how it's going. It's so extreme. It just might work. (laughs) I was definitely looking at it like, okay, but really it's only about six inches from the start of the intarsia to where you split for the sleeves. The way the top of the sweater is constructed, this will work also. But yeah, it's an experiment. For sure. So let us quickly check in on our summer knit-along. We are knitting cables. Well, y'all are knitting cables. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making a mess. (laughs) You're knitting cables. You're sharing them on Instagram. Also, I saw a really neat video on Instagram that somebody posted too. So keep creating content and sharing it with each other. You want to make sure that you're using the hashtag MakeGoodCables so we can see it and we'll share it in our stories and everyone will love bomb you with little hearts and comments and it'll be good. And we still don't have a solid end date for this knit along, but we'll keep you posted. It's until I can figure out how to finish this hat, (laughs) which could be until October. So get ready, knit some more cables, friends. Hey, Jessica. Yeah, Karen? Are you ready for a letter? I think I am. Are you ready? (laughs) This week's letter comes from Helen. Hi, Helen. I am an on-again, off-again casual knitter, and I decided to knit a tank top for my daughter this summer. I've frogged it twice now because I get three rows or so in and realize that I've twisted it as I joined my cast-on and started my first round. 
I have successfully knit other sweaters and hats in the round, and I don't know why I'm having such a problem with this project. Do you have any advice for me as I begin to cast on for a third time? Woof. Sorry, Helen. That's so frustrating. I'm going to send you all of my good knitting energy and ignore that I'm telling you that I'm making mistakes in my own knitting. Hopefully you can work through this. I can tell you what I do to keep from twisting my stitches when I join in the round, and it's not miraculous or anything. It might be what you're doing too. But once I've cast on all of my stitches, if it's a particularly long cast on, like you might find for the body of a sweater or tank top or something, I will place stitch markers generally as I'm casting on, like in sections. And that does two things for me. A, it helps me keep track of my big number of stitches I need to cast on. But the second thing it does is it helps act as a visual marker as I'm straightening out my stitches and join in the round. So if my stitches are like spiraling on my cable in a way that I maybe wouldn't have noticed, if I have a stitch marker that's hanging funny, sometimes that's an indicator to me that I need to readjust my stitches so that they're all hanging in the same way, because that way I know that my cast-on edge, that kind of solid edge that you have at the bottom of your cast-on row, I suppose depending on the technique that you're using, is continuous and it's not like flipping over the top of my cable and causing a problem once I've joined in the round. Another thing that I do is I make sure that I have a long enough cable. Sometimes a pattern will tell you, use a 24-inch cable for a project, but if you're in a size that's much bigger than 24 inches or something, if your stitches are squished up on your cable, it can be harder to see that you have a twist. So even if a pattern calls for a particular length of needle, That is sometimes arbitrary. Your number of stitches might fit perfectly comfortably on a 30-inch cable or a 37-inch cable. And if that helps you spread out your stitches so that you can look at them and see how they're laying on the cable more easily, use a different length cable. I also have a couple of links that we're going to put in the show notes because I feel like this is a very specifically visual thing and just talking about it is not necessarily helpful. I found a great video from Arnie and Carlos, and it's about eight minutes long. And at like the four minute point, they start addressing joining your stitches in the round. I would encourage you to watch the whole thing through because they're funny and charming and have made the note that they've only ever seen the instruction to not twist your stitches when you're joining in the round in English speaking patterns, English language patterns. It's not something that they see in their own native language, which I thought was kind of interesting. They're like, you twist your stitches once and then you learn. But in this video, they show you how to join in the round. But more importantly, they show you how to correct the problem without frogging if you do twist. And that's what I think might be particularly interesting to you, Helen. So that link will be in our show notes. We're also going to link to a Coco Knits blog post about how to join in the round without twisting, and they take a different approach. What Coco Knits recommends is casting on the number of stitches that you need for your garment, and then instead of joining in the round, they tell you to work two or three rows flat so that you've built up some fabric so it's particularly noticeable. 
and then join in the round. And that will require you to do some seaming to close up the couple of rows that aren't joined together at the end of your project, but it's not a whole lot and you're going to need to weave in that cast on tail anyways. So it seems like a good enough thing to do if it'll help you not twist your stitches. There's a woman who knits at the store who knit a dress. Mm-hmm. She was using that house dress that was big on Ravelry a couple of years ago as her baseline. So she redesigned the pattern and like made it in Tarja and did all kinds of wild things to it. But that was what she did. I have no idea how many stitches she had to cast on for this. A lot. Many. And she said that she just couldn't bear the idea of going through all of that and then discovering that it was twisted. And so she knit, I think, an inch or two maybe flat and then seamed it up just to like foolproof this for herself. That feels fair. Yeah. It's frustrating when it's like a baby hat. Forget about a bigger <laughs> project. So whatever you can do to avoid twisting your stitches, I support you. I hope that's helpful, Helen. I think that might be it for us this week. Sure is. You can listen to us anywhere you get your audio podcasts, including where you're listening to us right now. Make sure that you subscribe so you can keep listening and rate and review us. It's a great way for other knitters to find us. You can follow us on Instagram at makegoodpod. Big, huge, gooey, lovey thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You're awesome, and you help us do this every single week without ever taking on advertisers. You can visit our website, makegoodpod.com, and check out the show notes. You can also send us questions to dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com or use the form on our website. And please include your pronouns. That's it. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 